So I've been married to my wife, Becky, it's beautiful, right up there, for uh, uh, almost 22 years, right? 22 years. Next month, I got it right. My math is right, yeah. So almost just really a couple of weeks away. And I got married when I was 14. No, I was very young, but not 14. And I remember early on in our marriage, we both, we realized we were decorating one of our first Christmas trees, and we realized that we had been given the same Christmas ornament in 1977, the year that we were born. Both of our parents had given us that, that Christmas ornament. I, I was born in Kentucky. She was born in Michigan. And it says, 1977, baby's first Christmas. And, you know, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, whenever we, when we discovered that, you know, from then on, I told Becky, I don't want to have one of those Christmas trees. And sorry if you do. I feel sorry for you. But that just has, like, boring bulbs on it. You know, silver bulbs, and it looks great. It looks like it should be in a department store. A Christmas tree should have, like, old, worn-out crafts from when you were a kid, like some dilapidated star or some, like, clay figurine. You don't know quite what it is. It looks like chewing tobacco someone spit out of their mouth, you know, and says, like, Mrs. Jones, kindergarten class, 1985. You know, that's what you want. It should be a scrapbook. And that's what our tree is. You know, there are ornaments that commemorate making a certain team or other milestones in life. And uh, there are pictures of people that we love in our family that have passed away. Uh, I mean, it really is a stroll down memory lane every time we open up the box of Christmas ornaments and throw them on a tree. Um, and I know that this is a season of heartfelt reflection, isn't it? When we move into Christmas. It it forces us in many ways, it's unavoidable, to look back at the good, the bad, and everything in between in our lives. We think of Christmas traditions that we've enjoyed since childhood, or maybe the lack thereof, the hurt of what has been lost that's never going to be able to be regained. We think of dreams fulfilled and shattered. We are thankful, and at the same time, some of you tonight are just wanting to get through the season. But regardless, it's a time of deep reflection. And this reflection is depicted in the infamous work of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. How many of you have seen some rendition of that? Either the Disney one or just about everybody has. I hope you have. If you haven't, Netflix that tonight. There'll be something on there. There's, there's the, the Donald Duck one, you know, where, I mean, that, that one's the worst. But, but all the rest are pretty good. I think I've seen all of them. But it was written in 1843, and Charles Dickens write, writes of A Christmas Carol, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly. And Dickens' idea was to show how even the hardest of hearts could be transformed by Christmas. You remember Scrooge? In that story, remember Scrooge? He was visited by three ghosts. Remember that? The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. How many of you, be honest, how many of you were scared of that as a kid? I was terrified. The 1980-some edition of it, I was, you know, probably 17. No, I was probably like eight or nine when it came out, and it was pretty terrifying. Uh, uh, not now. I'm not scared of it now, but, but I was then. Uh, but these three perspectives were used to replace Scrooge's heart of stone and bring to his heart generosity and joy. 
And my intention through our Christmas series as we think and reflect in this season is to illuminate from the Bible what God says about our past, our present, and our future. Through Christ, we have a past that need not rob us. We have a present that can be filled with joy regardless of our circumstances. And we have a future that's filled with hope. And tonight, we'll start with our past. And then next week, uh, another one of our pastors, the one who is leading worship here, Kimball, will talk about our present, the abundant life we have here and now because of Christ coming to the earth. And then uh, the following week, we'll discuss our future, that he's coming back and we're filled with great hope. Um, uh, and then, of course, we have our Christmas Eve service, 6 p.m. Uh, it'll be about an hour long. You definitely won't want to miss it. Uh, so like Scrooge, we can stay stuck, speaking of our past, in our old ways. Specific to us, we can continue to relate to God in the old way instead of the new way offered by Christ and revealed in Scripture. And the consequences of, wh- of what choice we make to relate to God in this old way or this new way, the consequences are massive. And to understand this new way of Christ set in contrast to the old way of relating to God, to understand that, we need to look at a foundational need we as humans have, and that is peace. We crave it. We fight for it. We'll die for it. We become addicted to harmful substances and dysfunctional relationships in order to secure peace. We want peace more than anything, I would say. We want financial security. Many would rather die than fail to be rich or at least comfortable. Many think on little else than money. We want life to work out. We want to feel secure. And we not only want the wallet and the bank account full, we want our current circumstances to be comfortable relationally and vocationally. And what I mean by that is relationally, we want life-giving friendships, and vocationally, we want a job that matters. We want to be indispensable at work, and we want to be well-liked by others. The problem is that there are thousands, if not millions, of options that offer us this internal and external peace and comfort. From self-help strategies offered by Oprah and Dr. Phil and about a million other people to professional diplomas, degrees, and certificates, all promising a meaningful life if you just put in the time and work smart. This kind of peace is highlighted by Jesus in John 14 Verse 27, he says, I am leaving you with a gift. Jesus is about to ascend to the Father after his resurrection. I'm leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So there is a peace that the world gives, according to Jesus here. It's a serenity or calmness that we use to try to make life work. We want to be in control, right? We want to make life work at all costs, great relationships, good health, ample resources to mine out all the pleasures of life, meaningful work. Everyone on earth seeks this. It's common to man, and it's not necessarily bad in and of itself. But there's a problem with this kind of peace. It can't survive death. And when it's our sole concern, making this life work, whether you know Jesus or not, it's an offense to God. And we'll understand what that means in just a bit. Jesus offers a different kind of peace. It's not dependent on what we deserve for our hard work, our preparation, our great personality, and our relative good treatment of others. 
Jesus' peace depends on one overriding blessing, and that is he promises all of his followers the opportunity to draw near to him, to know him. That's it. Nothing else this side of heaven is promised. If we know and love Jesus, we can be with him. We can draw near to him. It's not dependent on the job. It's with us even when we feel hurt and loneliness. It's not dependent on the house full of healthy children or the bank account secure. He promises peace even when everything around us, around us seems to be not working out. God promised this peace hundreds of years before God came in the flesh as a baby named Jesus during a time when God's people had their backs against the wall. Their circumstances seemed hopeless and their future bleak, and a prophet named Isaiah comes along and speaks on God's behalf. And he says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, the problem is most of us, whether we know Jesus or not, really, myself included, we want the blessings of Christ not Christ. We want to feel peace instead of anxiety more than we actually want Jesus. We want to experience some kind of security physically, maybe because of health problems or relationally because of family problems. We really, if we could choose, either Jesus give us that or himself, we would take the blessings on many days. I've had many of them myself. This is the message of Christmas, of the incarnation. You see, incarnation means God with meat on. So God in the flesh, through Jesus Christ, came to dwell among us. The incarnation, Christmas, is not about doing A for God so that you'll get B. A equals B is the way most of us think. So it, it's about God giving us himself, not stuff, the gift of his presence, what I mean is Jesus didn't come to give us B, let's say healthy children, because we did A, which could be we read all the books about parenting, we're trying our best, we're burning the candle at both ends, so we deserve good kids. Or you fill in the blank. A could be work hard in school, so God will give you B, a meaningful career. Or B could be physical health for you and those you love, because you did A, you prayed your heart out, and you're a good person, and you help a lot of people. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that's why so many Christians burn out, and they get tired in their faith, because it's not working. Life is not working. All the stuff they've done for God is no longer working, and they are bored by church. The idea that we are the temple of God, where he dwells, the place where in the Old Testament you would be instantly killed if you stepped a toe in his presence. And now we are that temple. And yet we yawn in church because the awe that uh, Kimball had us pray for during this season is long God because we want the blessings instead of the blesser. Jesus came to give us himself because it was the best possible gift he could give. Nothing else is even in the same ballpark. Isaiah 9, verse 6, Isaiah continues, 
For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah said Jesus came to be with us, and here in chapter 9, that he came to be among us and bring us peace. But what kind of peace? Well, I'll give you a word picture. When I was in India years ago on a missions trip with Awaken, I met believers that lived in our sheds are nicer than theirs. Our sheds are nicer than theirs. And their hearts were, were so bursting with joy in who Jesus was and the, the, the ability to just have his presence in their life that they would take all the food they had in some cases and sacrificially attempt to give it to us. That is peace. That is the Prince of Peace. But what kind of peace specifically are we talking about here? We've already said that it's not the peace the world offers. That is, Jesus didn't come to earth to offer us pleasure, a life free of pain, at least this side of heaven. He didn't come to to offer us some type of equilibrium where everything works out and he's always going to bring us back to a place of calm and ease. In In short, the peace he brings does not bring peace to our circumstances necessarily. Not always. He's not always going to change our circle. Oftentimes, he's not going to change. Our, they're not going to change. Sometimes even our personality, our temperament, our relationships, there's only so much work we're going to allow him to do in us this side of heaven, right? Now, he can redeem us, and he can make us like himself, but we are going to be in the way a lot. There is some work he can do in us this side of heaven, and there's some that we're never going to allow him to get to because we're going to be in the way. Because the the primary peace Jesus offers is not this equilibrium, this general sense of serenity that sometimes popular Christian religion espouses. You know, the little messages you hear or you read on like an Afghan that you buy on, you know, I don't know, that that says something about, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't even want to go there. Some of you probably have that, never mind. You know, many of us think of Christmas as a time when we celebrate a cute baby in a manger offering warm feelings for all, but he offers so much more. This peace that he offers us cost him his life. Because this peace that I just mentioned a moment ago where I said it's going to shock you, the reason it is is because it's not this warm feeling that oftentimes is talked about in this season. He offers peace between us and himself. You see, we are naturally God's enemies. Did you know that? We read it all over the Bible. If you believe the Bible is true at all, this is a truth that that really can't be contradicted because it's from Genesis to Revelation. We've blown it. We've sinned. And we're relationally broken before God. Paul, writing to the church at Colossus, says in Colossians 1, verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So Paul is writing to those who've been rescued by Christ from their sins. So he's writing to Christians, in other words. And he's saying that they were once separated from God by their evil thoughts and actions. That means Christmas is not a cute story, but rather a divine rescue mission for a broken humanity. I mean, this is a hard truth because it's saying that those who don't know and love Jesus, those who don't live with him and for him are his enemies. 
There's no saying, well, I'm not that bad. Because it's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about, are we drawing near to Emmanuel, God with us? Is his presence in our lives? Is his presence our steering wheel and our guide? Is he our primary purpose and our goal? Is he our heart's focus and desire? Maybe you, some of you are realizing here tonight, I know I've gone to church, but I don't know and love Jesus. Isn't, isn't it just a religion that we're talking about here tonight? If that's your thinking or something like it, it means that you are likely an enemy of God. And so was I. Uh, so was I. And this tonight is a message of hope. That's the bad news, that we are naturally his enemies. We're, we're going to get to the good news in a moment. But first, how can someone say that we're an enemy of God? I mean, how can Paul say that? And how can that be one of the primary messages of Scripture? The short answer is sin. You probably knew I was going to say that. But more specifically, we just read that we're God's enemies because we're separated from him by what? What we just read in Colossians 1. Are we paying attention here tonight? Our evil thoughts and actions. Exactly. You're going to get a new car for that. So you guys never know. We've got a Ford Focus. It's not much, but we're giving it to... Don't you wish I did that once every, let's say, seven years? Someone got just an amazing gift for answering on a Sunday night. I think that's, let's put that in the budget, Kyle Atwood. Um, sin is any failure to measure up to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And here's what that means in short. None of us are good enough for God. Not one human being who has ever lived is good enough for God, except for Jesus Christ. That means we're all Scrooged. <laughs> because I can't say the other word in church. You can, but I can't. Because some people still think that's a bad word. And I'm not going to weigh in on whether or not I think it's a bad word, but I can't say it. Uh, it means that naturally without Christ, we are enemies of God and destined to an eternity without him in a life on earth that's ultimately meaningless, no matter how good we may think it is because we're living contrary to the divine purpose for which we are created. And that is to be in an intimate relationship with Emmanuel, God with us. That is the, the re, we were created by him and for him, the Bible says. So when we're not living in an intimate relationship with him, where he is our friend, our best friend, then we're missing the point of all of life. We're out of step with ourselves, and we're out of step with our creator. So there are sinful actions, like what we read in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is God's redemptive history before the birth of Christ. A couple of examples of commands uh, the Ten Commandments, do not murder and do not commit adultery. These are actions almost every culture says that they're wrong, and almost every culture acknowledges and documents the devastation caused by the breaking of these two commands, these two sins. But Paul in Colossians also says that we're separated from God. We're his enemies because of not just our evil actions, but also our evil what? Thoughts, right. So not just our actions, you see, Jesus diagnosed sin as a much deeper problem than anyone had ever thought. 
Because we naturally, as humans, we, we see sin as uh, primarily in action. We don't think about the sins of the heart. And so he gave a message to clear this up in some a message that's been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded by one of his followers named Matthew, and you can read about it in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you must not commit murder. So he's, he's, he's referring back to the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't uh, commit the sinful action of murder. But then he goes a little deeper and he says, but I tell you, if you curse your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. In the same teaching, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Again, the breaking of one of the commandments. But he goes on, but I tell you, if you even lust after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. This is the bad news. This is the bad news, but it's bad news and good news. The bad news first is it means that we are all lawbreakers. Have you ever been bitter towards someone? I know I have. It means I'm murder. Have you ever lusted after someone? Have you ever uh, uh, wanted to sleep with someone that's not your wife or your husband? I have. It means I'm an adulterer. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just two. There are many, many, many other commandments we could talk about. But it's good news as well because we see our hopelessness to defeat sin and be in relationship with God. We've seen that we've ruined our lives and our world with sin. And we've broken our relationship with our primary purpose for living, which is to be in relationship with God. It's broken. We've blown it. We've blown it. So we can't depend on ourselves to change this painful reality. We have to depend on God to change it for us. He's our only hope and our only prayer. See, our go-to perspective on sin probably goes something like this. We think to ourselves, I know part of me is sinful, but other parts are pure. Like, let's say, you say, hey, I'm not, I, I know that I can be, uh, I, I struggle with anger, but uh, I, I'm not materialistic at all. And we, we like to slice and dice our lives and compare ourselves to other people. But the reality, according to the Bible, is that every part of us is affected and poisoned by sin. Our intellects, our emotions, our desires, our hearts. And when the, heart, when the Bible refers to heart, it's referring to the center of our desires and our decision-making processes. Even our goals and motives and even our physical bodies have been tainted by sin. The prophet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? These passages on human sinfulness, both in Jeremiah and elsewhere, they're not saying that people who don't know Jesus can't do great things. There are people who don't know and love Jesus that are going to do better things than, than any of us who know and love Jesus, speaking in terms of their contribution to society. But when it's the Bible, the message of God, what he's saying is that we cannot do any spiritual good. We can't do any spiritual good or be on good terms in our relationship with God based on our own efforts. In other words, God doesn't look at our good deeds and say, oh, you over here, you've done a lot of good, so you're good. You're on good terms with me, and you've really struggled, so you're not on good terms with me. That's not how God judges us. We are all enemies of God because we've rejected him and we've rejected his son, period. And can you imagine? He gave us his one and only son. We already blew it. 
And then he continues to pursue us through Christ, and we rejected him too. We've committed treason against the King of kings and the Lord of lords, every single one of us. And the punishment is death. Again, we're unable to do any spiritual good without Christ. Again, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. You think you're righteous, you are not, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All of our efforts to go to church, all of our efforts to do good things, none of us are seeking God. All of us, all of us, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. So back to our original issue I raised at the very beginning of our time. Christ came as a baby and lived a very human life full of all the struggles and temptations we go through, but remained sinless through it all to offer us a new way of relating to God. The old way we've said is, through the infection, seen through the lens of the infection of sin that has permeated every part of our being. Without Christ, we said this sinful nature has broken our relationship to a holy God, which moves us to relate to him improperly. We relate to God in a dysfunctional manner. We try to do A, whatever it may be, to get B, some sort of blessing. We naturally treat God like a professor or a boss, put in the work to get the grade. Spend the time and work smart and you'll get the promotion and the paycheck. But the problem is that the only way of relating to God, this old way of relating to God that we naturally have doesn't work because we just read in Romans 3 that no one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. No one does good, not a single one. So we all get an F in God's book. There's no A minuses. There's no B put. We all get an F. We have all failed to meet God's law. But there's good news. In the same chapter of Colossians, to read the context here in verse 19, for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We are all drowning in an ocean of sin, and our only hope is the rescue of Jesus Christ. There's hope, and that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came into our miserable situation. We don't see it as much in this country, but all we have to do is turn on the news to see the physical manifestation of sin and how humanity is destroying one another. Ours is more internal and well-hidden, isn't it? The way wealth always hides and, and mask, applies makeup to sin. He came as our Savior and Lord to rescue us from sin and death and give us hope of a life with him forever. And he did this by sending Jesus in our place. Jesus became God's enemy. He became the one guilty of treason before God that we might be pronounced innocent. He traded himself for us when he shed his blood on the cross. 
He died to pay the death penalty that we deserve. The very reason for hatred, racism, famine, adultery, divorce, child abuse, the Holocaust, and ultimately the reason for all of our physical deaths that every single one of us will have to endure one day. The reason for all of that is sin, and Jesus came to destroy it. And he will one day, as it says in Colossians here, renew all things. He'll renew it all. Beyond that, he came in a real physical body to suffer, just like we did. So that not only would he be able to understand, but so that he could defeat sin in us, that we can relate to him as our friend, our savior, our brother, our king, our daddy, and our Lord. That's why he came. It makes us right with him if we accept his sacrifice for us. We have peace for this life, and though physically we may die, Jesus will come back and make all things new. And the uh, momentary struggles we have this side of heaven, Jesus came to this earth that he might walk with us and show us real and lasting joy that's not dependent on our circumstances. We can live forever you'll have an opportunity to receive this free gift of salvation in just a moment when uh, our other pastor, Kimball, comes back up to lead us into worship. But before we close, I want to talk to you who know Jesus briefly. Up until this point, I've spoken primarily to those who are still searching for Christ, and we're so glad that you're here tonight and that you're exploring your faith. And I hope you've had a great time, and I hope that you've experienced the love of Christ with us here tonight. But now I want to talk to those who follow him just for a moment. Worship team, you guys could go ahead and come on up. Um, did you know that as believers, we can walk in the old way of being made right with God, even though we've been rescued into the new way? Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That means if this life is only about the blessings that Jesus can provide this side of heaven, we're to be pitied because this life's going to be rough. Jesus says in the Gospels, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And frankly, it can be harder, not easier for Christians because we live in a broken world and we are, when we receive Christ, we are born into a spiritual battle, the Bible says, where we have an enemy That's trying to distract us and uproot our intimacy with the Lord. Jesus, it means that Jesus is not a genie. He's not a vending machine or a Santa Claus. Even for the believer, we can work hard to make this life work. That is, get the blessing and forget Emmanuel, God with us. To those here who know and love Jesus, he came that we might learn to enjoy him above all else, regardless of what happens in our lives. The cancer, the singleness, the divorce, the premature death, the shattered dream may come, but we can learn to like Jesus more than we like the blessing. Love can be kind of an obscure word sometimes, but we can learn to actually like him, enjoy him more than his blessings of a life that's working. So this Christmas, for those who know and love Jesus, the question to consider is this. Do we want better blessings for work done, that's the old way, or the better treasure of Emmanuel, God with us? Because that's why he came, to be with us.
You know, I've been very convicted in this area of my life, and I think the Lord has uh, laid a certain passage on my heart that's been one that uh, he takes me back to just about every day these days. I, I think I've been a little dry lately, a little indifferent in my relationship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, oftentimes in Revelation 3, people think that this passage is talking to those who don't know Christ. It's actually talking to the church. So it's often used as an evangelism verse uh, out of context. I mean, the application's fine, but it's out of context. This is, this is talking to Christians. And Jesus says in Revelation 3.19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He came to be friends with us, and his gift is bigger than anything we could ever possibly request of him. For all of us, our old way of relating to God, do A to get B, can be healed through the incarnation. Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly and became God's enemy on our behalf that we might become friends with him. So can we do that? Can we say as we move forward, Lord, as I go to work today, I really want to get through this day and get back to Netflix more than I want to be with you through the everyday trial and monotony of just getting through this day. I really want this romantic relationship to work out, Lord, more than I want to be with you through the process. Lord, I really want you to heal my child more than I want your presence through it all. Can we be honest with him about that and say, Jesus, but I do want to desire you more than all things. Would you meet me right here in this place, regardless of what you decide to do? And God's a good God, and he wants to give us blessings. But sometimes the blessings, the gifts that he gives us are not ones we would naturally choose. But for all of you who have gone through trials and have held Jesus' hand through it, I could get many of you, I know many of you, I could get a dozen of you off the top of my head without giving you any warning, and don't worry, I won't. But I could give you a microphone and have you stand right here and say, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I would not trade it from the world for the world because when my life was shattered, as the psalmist says, when it seemed like the mountains were tumbling into the heart of the sea, I experienced your ever-present help in a time of trouble. And that speaks volumes. There's no book that can teach you that. That Jesus is better than even the greatest blessings maybe that we have that are all, by the way, temporary. At this time, we're going to take our offering, and this is a time for those who are regular with us to give. Don't forget to write down your prayer request. It's been awesome to read. It seems like there's been more and more every week. But I'm right here with you guys in this. Uh, it, it, this is hard to want Jesus more than blessing. You know, in many ways, it's a, uh, a strange health and wealth gospel that is camouflaged, isn't it? You know the health and wealth gospel that says if you follow Jesus, he'll make you rich and give you a nice Rolex. I was watching a guy share his testimony, and I don't think that this actually happened. Maybe it did, but it, it seemed very uh, um, ridiculous. I'm just going to say it, ridiculous, and I was furious. But shared his testimony on TV, and he said, God asked me to get this like $5,000 Rolex or whatever, and I got it, and I was shot at, and I put it over my chest, and it hit the, the watch, and of course he'd had it fixed, but uh, uh, it hit the watch and protected his heart from death. So God wants us to have the very nicest of everything, 
And if you get sick, it means that you're not following Jesus and you've done something wrong because life is about making it work. And see, so we have that message just kind of tickling our ear from the sidelines all the time because there are a lot of people who walk uh, according to that teaching and it's wrong and it's blasphemous because Jesus said he had no place to lay his head. And so when I say the health and wealth gospel camouflage, what I mean is for us, it can be a little more discreet and it can be such a deceptive and sneaky idol. Or man, if I could just be married, if I could just have a better job, and we're really living for the blessing. Let's go for the better treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you that you are the greatest treasure. Lord, uh, uh, and when we take a moment to be silent before you, we see it. And we pray that we would do that in this season. Lord, that we would truly want to, to allow you to come in. All we got to do is open the door. That's our only into the bargain. Just open the door and you want to come in and share a meal with us. Lord, you want to be with us. Lord, help us to want to be with you in Jesus' name. Amen.